Okay, so are you ready to study the scripture? Here we go. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Uh, as you know, we've been in a series called Advent Conspiracy. And the Advent Conspiracy is really something that, that I describe this way. God is conspiring for our benefit to bring peace where there is anxiety. He's been conspiring to bring hope to this world in the midst of discouragement and depression. He's conspiring to bring peace in the midst of conflict. And he's conspiring to bring love into our lives. And, and he, he did it once through a child. The child was Jesus. And he does it continually in each of our lives by bringing Jesus into our lives. And so... Um, so we're, we're talking about that over these last few weeks, and today I want to talk to you about joy. I want to talk to you about joy and how it comes into our world. And, um, but first, I want to start with a story, all right? It's one of my favorite stories around Christmas time. I think I might have told it here once uh, at one chapel a few years ago, but I, I, I thought it, it was a fun way to start, and so I want you to picture, this is called Trouble at the Inn by Dina Donahue. For years now, whenever Christmas pageants are talked about in a certain little town in the Midwest, someone is sure to mention the name of Wallace Perling. Wally's performance in one annual production of the Nativity Play has slipped into the realm of legend. But the old-timers who were in the audience that night never tire of recalling exactly what happened. Wally was nine that year and in the second grade, though he should have been in the fourth. Most people in town knew that he had difficulty in keeping up. He was big and clumsy, slow in movement and mind, but still, Wally was well-liked by the other children in his class, all of whom were smaller than he, though the boys had trouble hiding their irritation if the uncoordinated Wally asked to play ball with them. Most often, he'd find a way to keep, them off, keep him off the field, but Wally would hang around anyway, not sulking, just hoping. He was always a helpful boy, a willing and smiling one, and the natural protector, paradoxically, of the underdog. Sometimes, if the older boys chased the younger ones away, it would always be Wally who'd say, can't they stay? They're no bother. Wally fancied the idea of being a shepherd with a flute in the Christmas pageant that year. But the play's director, Miss Lombard, assigned him to a more important role. After all, he reasoned, the innkeeper did not have too many lines, and Wally's size would make his refusal of lodging to Joseph more forceful. And so it happened that the usual large partisan audience gathered for the town's yuletide extravaganza of the staffs and creches of beards, crowns, halos, and a whole stage full of squeaky voices. No one on stage or off was more caught up in the magic of the night than Wallace Perling. They said later that he stood in the wings and watched the performance with such fascination that from time to time, Miss Lombard had to make sure he didn't wander on stage before his cue. Then the time came when Joseph appeared, slowly, tenderly guiding Mary to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked hard on the wooden door set in the painted backdrop. Wally, the innkeeper, was there waiting. What do you want? Wally said, swinging the door open with a brusque gesture. We seek lodging, 
Seek it elsewhere. Wally looked straight ahead, but spoke vigorously. The inn is filled. Sir, we have asked everywhere in vain. We have traveled far and we are very weary. There is no room in this inn for you, Wally looked properly stern. Please, good innkeeper, this is my wife Mary. She is heavy with child and needs a place to rest. Surely you must have some small corner for her. She is so tired. Now, for the first time, the innkeeper relaxed his stiff stance and looked down at Mary. With that, there was a long pause long enough to make the audience a bit tense with embarrassment. No, be gone, the prompter whispered from the wings. No, Wally repeated automatically, be gone. Joseph sadly placed his arm around Mary, and Mary laid her head upon his shoulder, and the two of them started to move away. The innkeeper did not return inside his inn, however, Wally stood there in the doorway watching the forlorn couple. His mouth was open, his brow creased with concern, his eyes filling unmistakably with tears. Don't go, Joseph, Wally called out. Bring Mary back. And Wallace Perling's face grew into a bright smile. You can have my room. Some people in town thought that the pageant had been ruined, yet there were others, many others, who considered it the most Christmas of all Christmas pageants they had ever seen. I like this story because I think it does something to you when you're reading it, when you're listening to it. There is a surprise in it. And I think when we talk about joy, what we, what we, talk, what we need to focus our attention on is there is a surprise that comes when joy is revealed. When we talk about hope and peace, right, which we have the last couple of weeks, it, it's easier to talk about hope and peace because discouraged people automatically gravitate to hope and peace. They want it. They desire it. But joy is sometimes more difficult to embrace. In fact, some of those same people get really irritated at any joyful people who try to convince them otherwise. And so there's a, there's a struggle as we look towards talking about joy today, if you're in the midst of, of such a, a difficult season in your life. But like Wallace Perling, joy, I believe, emerges from a, a deep place of struggle, sometimes woundedness, challenge, uncertainty. And joy emerges in our hearts. If you look at Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, you will find two words over and over again. You will find the word joy over and over again in these two chapters. You will also find the word manger. Manger. The manger. Why do you... I mean, Luke is the writer of this story. And so he's mentioning manger, manger. And there's a reason he does this. Because manger was the sign to the shepherds. It was the signal that they'd found the right place. If you think about it, I don't, I don't know how many of you have pets. We, our family has never been a, a pet family. We uh, have owned some goldfish and killed them all. My, 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 my family's never had a dog, right? And uh, my little kids are not in here, but um, this Christmas we actually are thinking about... We, I mean, we just keep having babies is our history. So we don't want... We're pretty sure that's not going to happen again, so we're okay to get a dog. And so what we did was, we did, we, our kids, 
um, we, we, we dog sat, right? We dog sat this little dog that's so sweet and so beautiful. And, uh, and so we took the dog into our home and tried it out for a weekend. And so my little kids just think it was uh, a dog sitting job. And so, but they're going to get a surprise on Christmas. It's so fun. I know, isn't it great? But what I noticed is, as the kids are, tra- you know, this dog is, is really pretty well trained, and, and uh, so the, the kids were trying to give it commands and stuff, and they, they'll point at stuff. You know, what do you, what do, you do when you, when you point with a dog? Okay, over here, over, over there, go see, and then what does the dog do? It looks at your hand. It doesn't look at where you're pointing. It looks at your hand. It's like, what, 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 you, what do you got in there? <laughs> Let me see what's in that hand. <laughs> And so sometimes in the story, we tend to focus on the manger when it's just the signpost of what's coming. It's, it's the thing God is pointing, he's using to point, but he's pointing at something else. He's pointing at the idea of how the kingdom of God is going to work. The joy is what Christ is bringing into the world, but not in the way that you would expect Joy is coming because oppression and tyranny will be no more. It will be replaced by peace and love. Joy is arriving in Luke, right, in the story. But the manger describes the way it is coming. Not with control or cruelty or the force of law, but with the vulnerability and simplicity and innocence of a newborn baby. This is how God works. And it's a mystery for people. So as we read the story, I want you to have this in the back of your mind. And we're going to talk about how joy is revealed in this passage. Look at verse 39 in Luke chapter 1. In fact, let's pray. Father, let your word come alive in us now. Speak your words through these words into our hearts. Give us the grace to obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, verse 39, Mary is visiting Elizabeth, and and so we've already seen the story of Elizabeth and her miracle. She was barren, and an angel appeared to her husband, Zechariah, and he, he, he said she was going to be pregnant. She was going to have John, and then, of course, the angel... Gabriel has already appeared to, to Mary and said, you are blessed and highly favored. You're going to have a baby. And they have this conversation. And so now Mary is on her way to Elizabeth's house. Here it is, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. I can't help but see two weepy, hormonal Jewish pregnant women (laughs) in this story. And they they see each other for the first time in a long time. It's just like, oh, they can't stand it. (laughs) You know know how that works, right? Men is kind of like, hey, how you doing? No, with with pregnant women, it's a whole different deal. And so they see each other, but they are so overwhelmed by what's happening to them. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit at this moment because the baby leaps inside her. We know from chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit has filled John, the baby. It's a miracle. Here it is in verse 42. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. 
But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. If you have your pen and a Bible open, I want you to underline that verse. Blessed is the person who has believed that the Lord will accomplish what he promised, what he has said. And so, so this is a moment, number one, gratitude. Joy is gratitude on display. In your message notes, joy is gratitude on display. We see it here, and, and Mary is so grateful for what's happening to her. The angel has appeared to her and told her this miracle. She's just a peasant girl. She's amazed at what's happening, and, and it's been confirmed by visiting her relative Elizabeth, who was barren for many, many years, and suddenly she is pregnant, and they are both pregnant with anticipation, with expectation. They are both incredibly grateful for what God has done, and joy is springing up. Can I, can I encourage you that gratitude is always the basis for joy? In our society, in our culture, we often are bombarded with messages that teach us to be unsatisfied. Dissatisfied, I guess, is a better grammar. Is unsatisfied actually a word? None of you know, so it doesn't matter. It teaches us to be dissatisfied. We're always looking for something else. We're always trying to find something else, and we become ungrateful, even for what we have. And so we become joyless, always pushing, always pressing, always trying to find something else. But that's, that's the, the case here in Elizabeth and Mary. They, they, are, they are so filled with gratitude that joy is spilling out. And often that is exactly the way it happens. Getting in touch with gratitude is what we're called to do. If you look at 1 Peter 1, verse 8 and 9, it's in your message notes. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. He's talking about Jesus. Peter's talking about experiencing Jesus. And he says, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. For the Christian joy is so much deeper than some experience that you have. Joy is found in the gratitude of salvation, the gratefulness for what God has done in our lives. It's gratitude on display. And, and so I want to ask you the question, what, when was the last time like, you were celebrating wildly? <laughs> What would make you celebrate wildly and without inhibition? What would it be? What would, it, what would that look like? Powerball, right? If you won the lottery, right? Would that be good? Yes! Whoa! What would, make you, what would make you celebrate a new job, a football championship, an engagement? I wasn't quite that exuberant, but it was true. There's really wonderful joy in engagement. Would you be joyful at a sick child getting well? 
would something come out of you that was maybe unexpected if all of your money worries were settled, taken care of? See, I, I think we focus probably too much on these external things when I think God points us inward. And here's what, here's what, here's what Elizabeth and Mary both experienced. They experienced Joy that was increased because they were together. Joy always increases when we share it with others. Here's a, I, I like this phrase, joy is communal. You ever have an experience and, 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 and you're so happy about it, but you got no one to share it with? It's not as fun. It's not joyful. There's a, a book called into the wild, and it's about a young man who dies in the wilderness, in the Alaskan wilderness, and they, they find his journal. Long after he had died, he was, he was there by himself, alone, and he'd written all of his experiences in his journal. And, and he essentially says this, he says, he says they find it and they're reading it, and he says, I, I, I've, I've experienced profound joy and happiness, but it really is only happiness when it's shared. Like, I can't, I, there was, there was something missing in his experience. He he'd gotten so discouraged being by himself, even though he'd seen incredible vistas and he'd experienced really amazing things out there by himself in the wilderness, but happiness is only real when it's shared. I submit to you that joy is not an emotion. It is not some kind of feeling, but a posture of gratitude that's shared with others. If you continue to read through the scripture, you'll see joy and manger come alive. You, 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 you actually will see Mary singing a song. It's called Mary's Magnificat. And she sings this song. It's incredible. And she's talking about how amazing it is what God has done. And you'll turn over to chapter 2 and you'll see the birth of Jesus and, and the introduction of, of the census that's taken. And Mary and Joseph have had to travel a long distance and they've gone to Bethlehem. And while they're there, they have the baby. So we pick up the story in verse 8. Here's what it says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And they said, stop scaring us. They said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Great joy for all the people. And the angel shows up and begins to talk about how joyous this event is. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great hump company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had to been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
I want you to think for a moment about the angels who visited the shepherds. And the starry night gives way to a glowing, glorious, angelic being who says to them, there is great joy that is coming. And the shepherds then leave. I want you to think about the, the night sky over Bethlehem could have been filled with a vast host of heavenly armies. Could it be that, could it be that the shepherds were the ones who were not busy? <laughs> they were simple enough. They were, they were just sitting out in the field to see the angels. Were they the ones that were looking? Life is busy for us, and sometimes this can be the joy killer. So busy, so many things that you have to do, that you're trying to get accomplished, and somehow we don't have margin in our life, and then that kills the joy that God's trying to place there. Simple, humble shepherds. So here's Mary and Joseph. Think about this. Mary and Joseph have now traveled. She's pregnant. She's big and pregnant. I don't know if you've ever traveled with a pregnant woman before. It ain't that fun. She's always hot or cold. Right? Got a little heater in there. So you're traveling with her and she blasts the air conditioner. And then she's cold so she blasts the heat. Then she blasts the air conditioner, blasts the heat. Sometimes they're a little grumpy. It's good that they have that glow. Right? They're incredibly beautiful, pregnant women are. But, but, they, but this is hard on Mary, and they get to Bethlehem, and here they are, and they're, they're having a baby in a, in a manger in a stable. And, and you, you imagine her going through the process and thinking to, to herself, this cannot be blessed and highly favored. We, we're having a king. This is supposed to be blessed and highly favored. What is happening here? And often we receive a promise from God, and then things don't go well. Things don't go as expected. Things don't go like we think they should. And, and suddenly we're discouraged and we're just trying to wrestle through it and we're, we're crying out to the Lord and suddenly he sends a picture, a, a, a sign, an illustration. The shepherds had been told the manger would be the sign. But the truth is, the shepherds were a sign to Mary and Joseph that they were on the right track. Because think about it. So, the, so a knock comes at the door. They show up, toothless, hairy, smelly shepherds. <laughs> you know, they might have been expecting little people with gift bags, but no, just shepherds that came in and said, told them this incredible story. We saw an angel. Mary and Joseph look at each other. <gasps> we saw angels. The angel talked to us too. You, you heard from the, what did the angels, what did they say? They said that we should go look for the baby in the manger, for it is Christ the Lord. Mary and Joseph are realizing, oh my goodness, we are not on the wrong track. This is a messy, dirty, stinky, smelly stable, and there are stinky shepherds all around, but we're on the right track. I think this is how God works. He gives us little clues. Little clues that he's working. But you think about Mary and Joseph, and you think about the shepherds, what were they doing? They were they were pursuing something. They were being obedient. They were being obedient to what God was doing. Joy is often the result of pursuing something greater than itself. Joy is the result of pursuing something greater than itself. 
Here's what I mean by this. Sometimes we're pursuing happiness as our goal. And happiness never works as a goal. Because as you pursue happiness, guess what happens? You have to make yourself happy. You have to do things that give you pleasure, self-enhancement, self-medication, all kinds of stuff that you're pursuing to make you happy. Happiness as a goal always ruins your life. But what God wants is for you to seek him who is the source of joy, the source of real pleasure, the source of real satisfaction. And as we do, something happens, something emerges within us. He shows us the greater thing. He tells us to, to, he gives us a promise. He shares with us his desire for us, like he did with Mary, like he did with the shepherds. And then suddenly, I love the scene, if you're thinking about Mary and Joseph and they're listening to the story with the shepherds, it's like if you've ever been in a room where somebody's talking about something, but you know the backstory, and then suddenly you like look across the room and you like see you catch somebody else's eyes who also knows the backstory, and the person talking doesn't really know the backstory, and so you're like, this is what I think is happening with Mary and Joseph. They're like, oh my goodness, there's something greater happening here. Something greater happening here, and that isn't, at the end of the day, isn't that what we all want? is to pursue something greater than ourselves. That's where, that's where joy really comes from. People who just get everything they want, right? They pursue the things they want and they achieve them. They don't end up happy. Getting everything you want doesn't make you happy. I mean, I'd like to try it sometime, but I'm just saying, by our statistics, by the look at what happens in our society, the people who get everything they want often are the most miserable. They ruin themselves with it. Joy emerges from seeking something greater. Look at Hebrews 12, 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus looked beyond the cross to the joy that was to come. He was illustrating what how we should live. He looked beyond the cross to you and me, knowing that we would be the prize, the reward for his suffering. What the Bible calls the reward of the, lamb, of the suffering of the Lamb, of God. Jesus is our joy. We look beyond our circumstances and to Jesus and something changes. The, Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. The, the shepherds lived such a simple life that they, they began to search for something that they'd been told about. And they were willing to leave their sheep, leave them in the field, and go search for something greater. The same is true of the wise men who show up later in, in the book of Matthew. They were searching for something greater. Joy comes to those, here's the thing, like the shepherds, joy comes to those whose lives are simple and focused on Jesus. For the Christian, Jesus is our joy. For the believer, the person who seeks after Christ, the person who puts his life in Christ's hands, the person who receives the work of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the healing of our soul, it is the source of all joy. Now listen, often for my life, I can tell when I get grumpy, when I get joyless, when I get mean, 
You know what I can trace it to? I can trace it to losing my focus, not fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm fixing my eyes on the problem. I'm fixing my eyes on what I want and don't have. I'm fixing my eyes on this circumstance over here that's really frustrating. I'm fixing my, when I fix my eyes, when I focus my attention on Jesus, something changes. It's amazing. There's a little song. It goes like this. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. I learned that in Sunday school. Anybody else learn that song in Sunday school? Yeah, three of you. This some of you are like, Sunday school, what's that? <laughs> There's a school on Sunday? <laughs> There's a, no, it's okay. So there, there's, this is a little song. When you read your Bible and pray every single day, you're not mark, checking something off a lift, list. You're, you're actually spending time with Jesus. And something happens when you do that. It focuses your attention We don't have time to read the rest of it, but I'll give you the third point. Joy comes from a deeply held conviction that God is good, even when things don't look so good. It's even more important to spend time with Jesus every day. Because when when things are not going well, the next story in Luke 2 is about Simeon and Anna, and they were... Two people that confirmed once again for Mary and Joseph that they were that what God was doing was real, was authentic, and they prophesied over the child to Mary and Joseph, and they dedicated him in the temple and fulfilled the law of circumcision, and, and, and as they did that, Simeon and Anna, Anna was a, a person who'd been waiting, she was a widow, and she'd been spending her life day after day after day, year after year, praying at the temple. God promised Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he would die. And so he was filled with joy when he saw Jesus. But he had to wait. This is what we don't like. We don't like to wait. As I looked at the scriptures and and tried to look up joy, what I found was joy is often connected to suffering in the, in, in they're, they're, they're like juxtaposed in the same verses. Joy and like, like Psalm says, weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, but those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. What I want to submit to you is waiting on God leads to joy. I'd like to submit to you an idea. It's, it's called active waiting. <laughs> Some people are just waiting without God in the picture. Very hard to do. Active waiting pursues God in the in-between time. This verse in Isaiah, it talks about eagles. Have you ever seen an eagle? Massive wingspan. And what happens to eagles? You see them kind of gliding. And when they're gliding, they, they, can, they can certainly flap their, their wings, but, but they're always looking for air currents, thermal air currents, heated air currents. And when they find one, they, they ride it. They soar up on the current. Little tiny birds, you know what they do? They just... Some of you are like little tiny birds. You're just flapping around trying to do all the stuff, trying to get things done, trying to make things happen. 
You don't like waiting, so you just go work really hard. <laughs> That's really going to be awkward on video. <laughs> what I want you to do is I want you to think, I want you to be like the eagle in this passage that waits and looks for the current, the thermal air current of what God is doing, what he's saying. That you're looking for that, you're waiting for that, and you're looking to him for that. And when you do, you realize that there's a joy that's deeper than just the happiness that you're pursuing. In fact, I, I think happiness is often based on happenings, but joy is found in the journey. There's a deeper joy that happens. Happiness is often just about happenings. It's like, like what, what's, what's going on around me, and, and, and I, I, wanna, I want this, and I want that, and I, no, God wants you to experience greater joy. Greater joy. Control is an illusion, my friends. <laughs> we want to control everything. Love is a certainty because God loves you. But he wants you to wait on him. He wants you to embrace him. Happiness often just seeks a quick fix, but joy is a long obedience. Look at James 1, verse 2. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, everybody say faith. The testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not, check these words out, not lacking anything. Hello. I want to not lack anything. I want to be mature. I want to be complete. I don't want to lack anything. You know what I have to do? I have to find joy in the midst of the journey. I have to consider that the difficulty of my life, the struggle that I'm in, has purpose. You know what that requires? Hey, hey, are you guys, are you guys listening to me? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> what we're talking about here is, oh, this is kind of a nice little place to stand. What we're talking about here is faith. You have to apply faith in the midst of the waiting. The waiting requires you to put your trust that this season is not going to last. The devil will tell you, this is it for you. This is your life. This is your season. It's never going to end. It's going to be this way the rest of your life. It's not true. It's a lie. God always is producing a new season. You may have to weep for an evening or a night, but joy will come in the morning. There is a moment when perseverance finishes its work and then joy is revealed in that process. My friends, this requires faith. This requires trust. This requires that you're not just flapping around like a little bird trying to get all that you want. That you actually are willing to wait because only God can lead us from uncertainty and fear to love and joy. Uncertainty and fear to love and joy. My son Taylor, some of you heard me tell this story before, but I really, um, I really like this story. He, he, we were going to, a, <laughs> we were going to a amusement park, and we were going to ride the biggest, baddest roller coaster. We go to ride the biggest, baddest roller coaster. We go in, we get our tickets, we head towards the roller coaster, and, and, and I think it was Zachary and I, and, and we're heading there, and you can hear all the people screaming on the roller coaster. And we start to go through the little turnstile into the roller coaster, and Taylor is nowhere to be found. <laughs> and I look back, and he's like 30 yards back there, and he's like this. 
don't know, he's like 10 years old, right? He's, he's, he's young. He's, he's like been talking like a big man, but now he comes face to face with the roller coaster. He comes face to face with the roller coaster, but he's like scared to death because people are like, ah! So, he, so he's like, I don't want to go, Dad. I don't want to go. So I, kept, so I came and I put my arms, arm around him and I tried to push him. Please withhold your judgment of my parenting skills until the end of the story. I push him towards the, 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 the entrance, and I, I say, it's going to be great, Ted. It's going to be fine. We're going to be okay. And we go into the, to the turnstile, and then we're snaking our way around, and the exit signs, at every exit sign, he's like, can I get out of here? Can I leave? Can I get, can I, can I, Dad, I just don't want to go. I just want to, I don't want to do this. So I, I push him all the way. We, it's like 20 minutes to the front of the line. Taylor, it's going to be okay. Listen, I'm telling you, this is going to be good. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. And then, and then he's getting more and more agitated. We get to the front of the line. We get in the, we get in the little seat, you know, pull down the things over our, over our heads. And I look over, and right here is a, like a tear. I don't know his eyes. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Jesus, help. Help us. Help us. This isn't, this isn't going to be good. You've got to make this happen. So, so we start like through a tube and he's like I don't want to do this I don't want to do and we're and we're coming out of the tube and finally it just shoots you out of the tube like like 90 miles an hour and I look over you can't see any track anywhere we're like hanging out there he's like yeah I was like so grateful I was filled with joy that day uh, because something had happened here, and, and I wasn't sure it was going to turn out. So afterwards, I, I took him aside, and I said, Now, Taylor, let this be a lesson to you. <laughs> Your father knows best. <laughs> and look, in the same way, you have to have faith that your heavenly father knows best for you. That even if you're in something really uncertain, even if you're really scared, even if you're not sure what's going to happen, or you feel so frightened that you're just over, overcome or paralyzed, your Father knows. Trust Him. Put your faith in Him. Look to Him. Fix your eyes on Him. And joy will reveal itself. So how do you do it? How do I experience greater joy? How do you live for the greater things? How do you live for the greater someone? Look at this, just real quickly. Number one, cultivate a grateful heart. Cultivate a grateful heart. You know how you do this? Everybody typically thinks about things that they want or things that they wish they were. I wish I was different. I wish I would have. I I have regret. And they live in kind of a perpetual regret. Instead of living that way, here's how you cultivate a heart of of gratitude. You think about, now I'm going to coach you here as your pastor. You think about Instead of the fact that you're not as good as you wish you would be, instead, you start thinking about what you'd be like if Jesus had never shown up in your life. You start thinking about what would I, where would I be if God hadn't shown himself to me? Where would I be if Jesus wasn't walking and working with me? That's the beginning, the source of gratitude. And you begin to be grateful for all that he's done to you. Number two, simplify your life and refocus your priorities. Create margin in your life for reflection and for rest. 
Instead of running everywhere and doing all kinds of stuff, you've got to dial it back. We all have to dial it back, and we have to spend time with Jesus, and we have to be willing consistently. Time with Jesus, all right? This is a big deal. I find a lot of Christians who are like, oh, I I know Jesus is with me. He's been with me a long time. Me and him, we're cool. We're tight. It's great. And they just kind of like, you know, he's just always there. I'm just like really grateful for him. You know, I don't really spend a lot of one-on-one time, but it is good. I, I say try that with your spouse. (laughs) <laughs> if I tried that with my wife, you know, she's always just there, you know, it's just fine, it's just, she knows I love her, and, and I kind of know she loves me, and I never spend any intentional time with her at all, never, just her and I alone, our marriage becomes unhealthy, our relationship becomes poor, it's the same with Jesus, don't give in to that thinking, oh, he's just always there, he's your big safety blanket in the sky, listen, he, he loves you, And he will be there for you. But you invest in the relationship and you will find joy in that relationship. It's much better to find joy than just forgiveness every once in a while. And so invest in that. Number three, fix your eyes on Jesus. Through worship and prayer and community, fix your eyes on Jesus. Feed your spirit, not just your mind. Deal with your negative self-talk. That's why you've got to deal with, you've got you've to spend time with Christ every day. Now put your stuff aside and I want you to join me in listening to what God wants to tell you. What the Holy Spirit might say. Just close your eyes right where you're at. Maybe, here's what I'd like you to do. If you just take out the communion elements right in front of you in the seat back pockets right there. Just take out the communion elements and then hold it right there. Just don't, you don't have, you can open the top layer if you want to, but. And I want you to pause. All right. Listen, close your eyes and listen. Have you been flapping around wildly trying to do things all on your own? Jesus is inviting you to the table to remind you that he has provision for you. Have you been trying to do everything on your own without him? Have you been seeking happiness, pursuing happiness as your pursuit rather than happiness becoming a byproduct of something greater? This is a moment for you to say, forgive me. Forgive me for focusing on myself instead of focusing on you. Forgive me for just doing the best I can without you. Because the best I can do is not really going to be good enough, and it certainly is not a very joyful journey. So, Lord, come. If If that describes you, I just want you to invite him to come into your heart. Come into your life. Come and give you direction. Come and give you his provision. And and forgive you for trying to do it on your own. And whatever it is that you're you've been wrestling with during this Christmas season, whatever whatever it seems like you just have been so burdened by or, or the thing you're struggling with, I wonder if you'd just give that to him today. I wonder if you'd bring that to the table and offer it to him. He's offering you himself.
And so, Lord, as we receive these elements, these symbols of your body and blood, your body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins, we ask you to heal our hearts. We ask you to give us perspective. Orient us around the cross now around the work of Christ in our lives, around what you've done to make us whole. Remind us that it is futile to try to do it on our own and to try to make life work or make life meaningful without you. Lord Jesus, remind us today that you are the source of all joy. And even in the darkness, even in the waiting, even in the uncertainty, you know and you care, and your strength comes alive in us. And now we, we receive from you. I want you to open up that top layer, and I want us all to take it together. Father, thank you for the bread that this represents, the provision that represents. Thank you for the body of Christ, and thank you that by his stripes we are healed. By his broken body we are made new. And we, we choose to be made new today. We choose a new perspective, a new vision, a new orientation for our lives in Jesus' name. Come on, let's receive it together. Yeah, just be still for a minute. Just wait, wait on the cup. Just, Lord, we receive it from you. Thank you. Thank you. Open that second layer and let's, Lord, we thank you for this cup that represents the blood of Christ, the new covenant that is so much better than the old because you have come to change us, to transform us, to fill us with your spirit, to give us confidence and to give us a measure of faith that will begin to grow in our lives, faith that we need through the perseverance. Lord, we thank you for this and we thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for all that you've offered, we repent for the past. We repent of trying to do it on our own. Like an eagle, we want to search for the air current of what you're trying to do and wait on you and receive from you. So thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your cleansing. Thank you for the healing. In Jesus' name, let's receive it together. Father, I pray that you'd come upon every person, every heart, every soul, every life, every mind right now, and that you would call them to yourself. And in the busyness of our season, in the struggle that we're, that we're sort of in as a society to accomplish and achieve, that you would bring us rest. That you would teach us how to order our days, to simplify, to focus. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We thank you for this. In your name, we pray. Amen.